Hello, this is Dara Whelan and I am the Irish Independence 1916 Project Coordinator. As part of our commemoration coverage, we're bringing you a 10-part podcast series that's looking at the history of the Easter Rising in 10 objects. It's based on the book A History of the Easter Rising in 50 Objects by well-known historian John Gibney, who's already written the biography of Sean Hewson for the acclaimed 16 Live series, and he's currently the Glasnevin Trust Assistant Professor at Trinity College in Dublin. John, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks, Dara. So in this podcast, John, we're going to be discussing the Memorial Cup that was awarded for the defence of Trinity College in Dublin. Now, if you um, if you had been a member of the student or staff of Trinity College, uh, or if you had been present on the premises during Easter Week 1916, there is a possibility you would have got a, um, well, a basically a large silver cup, or more likely a replica, that was awarded um, to the, for your part in defending the college against the Sinn Féin Rebellion. And these Memorial Cups were, uh, there were six originals, and about 70 replicas that were given to people who have been involved in um, in the defence of Trinity College against the rebellion. Um, because if you look at where Trinity is, it's a big it's a big patch of ground, 40-plus acres, it's smack bang in the city centre. Um, you might think that if, I mean, if look, if I was going to have a rebellion in Dublin next week and wanted to seize buildings, I might put Trinity quite high up the list. The catch is, though, Trinity wasn't seized, and there's probably two reasons for that. One is, well, it's a large complex. You know, um, for a small number of insurgents, it would have been far too difficult to seize. There's also the fact that Trinity was not necessarily going to be an institution that would have been enthusiastic about the prospect of a rebellion for Irish independence. After the rising, Trinity was described as having been true to its traditions. And those traditions were a tradition of, I suppose, um, loyalism, unionism, loyalty to the British crown, but certainly uh, not Irish nationalism and certainly not Irish republicanism. Um... In 1915, the provost, J.P. Mahaffey, had blocked a man called Pierce from addressing uh, the college's Gaelic society just after the outbreak of the war, presumably because Pierce was uh, giving anti-recruitment speeches left, right and centre. But Trinity, um, I mean, Trinity is one is one place where it's one of the few public memorials to uh, the First World War that you actually come across in Dublin city centre is found in Trinity College. About 471 students and staff in the university were killed. And Trinity's uh, tradition, um, to use that term, it wouldn't. Ju- it would have been politically unionist, and I mean, uh, the unionist leader Edward Carson was the MP for Trinity College Dublin, or one of them. But Trinity was still a university that represented Ireland's uh, Anglican community, the Church of Ireland, the professional classes, the old, the remnants of the old landowning gentry, and it would have had its own particular military traditions. Like many universities in Britain or Ireland uh, during the First World War, it would have had its own officer training corps. So Trinity wasn't somewhere that was going to welcome a rebellion. Uh, so, John, tell me then, um, people quickly gathered to, to put in a defence of the college, uh, afraid what might happen during the week of Easter 1916. Yeah, defences putting it, defences maybe stretched them because there wasn't, as it, as it turned out, there wasn't really much defending to be done. Um, the, the college would have been largely, would have been closed on that Monday. There would have been some members of the Office Training Corps present. Um, and one concern they had when the rising broke out was that the, their armoury might be seized by um, members of the Irish Volunteers, as it turns out, were under Raymond de Valera. Um, in the vicinity of Boland's Mills, Mount Street and so forth. Now, when the rising broke out, I mean, one uh, one of the fellows at the college, Arthur Luce, he was on um, home, he was home on leave, on sick leave from the Western Front. He wandered up to uh, Sackville Street, O'Connell Street to check out what was going on. Then he went back to the college and informed him what was happening. The college porters uh, then closed the gates. One of them, um, or the chief steward of the college, was a guy called Joseph Marshall, armed the porters with pikes that had been captured in 1867 during the Fenian Rebellion. Um, and some of the porters began going out into the streets trying to find um, trying to find people who might be willing to 
well, come in and give them a hand. I mean, bear in mind, no one knew what was happening. I mean, during the, the, the week of the rising, there were all kinds of insane rumours about submarines coming up the River Liffey and the Germans landing and all this type of stuff, you know. So it kind of was prudent from the point of view of the college to basically make sure it was safe and secure. Now, this guy, Luce, who was on, leave, on sick leave uh, from the Western Front, wasn't the only person who was on leave. There were quite a number of soldiers um, on leave in Dublin, but quite an international contingent because... The British armed forces on the Western Front, you might say they were very much imperial forces as well. So you had large numbers of um, South Africans, Anzacs, Australian and New Zealand Army Corps. These guys were on leave in Dublin. Um, I mean, there was one guy called uh, Michael McHugh who was from Queensland. You know, he'd uh, been in Gallipoli, had been evacuated with uh, disease in September 1915, was recuperating um, in England, uh, took a visit to Dublin and then met a porter waving a pike outside Trinity College, you asked them to come in and help defend the university. And a lot of these, um, these you know, Dominion or Imperial troops would have ended up on um, the west front of the university that faces out onto College Green, acting as snipers. And in one instance, uh, shot dead a guy called Gerald Kyo, who was uh, a messenger cycling past. Um, and Kyo's body was actually brought into the college, left in the province house for a couple of days before being buried in the province garden. Amazing, amazing. And there was people, there was two soldiers killed in the fighting. Well, yeah, they were killed outside and uh, the bodies were brought in. There's still a memorial plaque to one of them uh, in one of the car parks in Trinity. But there was never any... They were expecting the worst, but it didn't happen. There was no shots fired at Trinity. There was no attempts made on Trinity. Well, there was no... There were no... There were no volunteers, really, in the vicinity. I mean, um, and this was this and this and is a clue to, why the, to the history of the Cups as well. Because if you look where Trinity is... Now, bear in mind... Stephen's Green would have would have been seized as well to a certain degree. Um, they would have been fighting around Mount Street and Bowen's Mills, um, and obviously O'Connell Street was a hotbed, but and City Hall on the first day. But there, that's a fairly that's a zone that Trinity sits in the middle of. So Trinity wasn't really on the receiving end of a of um, much hassle, you know, or direct attacks or anything of the sort. It it dodged quite a few bullets, you might say. Um, I mean, to give you an idea of how to what kind of what kind of you know atmosphere was going on. The examinations were still going on in Trinity during that week. You know, a couple of students turned up. Um, I mean, written exams went ahead on the twenty fifth of April, two at the second day of the rising in the middle of gunfire. There were oral exams on the twenty sixth of April before, you know, they were suspended. Though some of the students kind of recorded that they were they were kind of getting used to the sound of gunfire. You know, it wasn't putting them off their studies. The reason why they were called off on um, on Wednesday was that members of the Leinster Regiment had begun to arrive into the college, and the college began to be occupied. And there's, there's, there's extraordinary photographs of a Parliament Square, or Front Square, as it's more colloquially known, um, covered not with tourists or students, but with the paraphernalia of modern warfare, of Tommies, soldiers, field kitchens, all this type of stuff. About 20,000 troops involved in suppressing the rising, and about 4,000 of them ended up garrisoned in Trinity. Amazing. And so tell me how the Memorial Cup came about. Well, it's a kind of practical thing, because um, the occupation of Trinity... It did two things. Well, firstly, it blocked um, it blocked any meaningful communication between the GPO and the volunteers south of the river, as the unfortunate Gerald Kyo would have realised. He was shot dead cycling past it. There was a, there was a sense only aftermath. See, bear in mind, when, when the rebellion broke out on in around O'Connell Street, there was widespread looting. That didn't happen around College Green or around Grafton Street, where you would have had, a, I suppose, a fancier profile of shops. Now, that's not because, um, that's not a south side, north side thing. You know, it's not something that, you know, the north siders weren't, like, such as myself, were inclined to go out and rob things, and the south siders were too genteel. A lot of business owners, who would have been kind of unionists in that district anyway, a lot of business owners took the view that the fact that a load of troops and an officer training corps sitting smack bang in Trinity College had dissuaded looters. That had basically saved their businesses. Now, 
they wanted to express their gratitude for that, so they put together a committee, did a whip round, and hey presto, you got these memorial cups. Now there were six originals, but you know more than six people were involved, um, and replicas were given were given out to people who uh, who had participated in the so-called defence of Trinity College. Now one of those was the uh, the guy I mentioned earlier on, the Anzac, Michael McHugh. And uh, But he received a letter in August 1916 saying that he was entitled to a Memorial Cup. Now, he was back on the Western Front at this stage. And uh, his response to the letter was to um, write back to the college authorities and ask them to send a letter to his commanding officer saying that they, they really wished he could make it, that he insisted on his presence, and that would drag him away from the firing line. Now, it didn't happen. He got the cup. Presumably, it was posted out for him. But he survived the war and returned to Australia in April 1919. There's still a few of these things knocking around, but it's a little... Um, I suppose it's a little reminder of the other side of the Easter Rising, and a little reminder of another tradition of um, of allegiance or identity or whatever one terms to one shoot what one term one wishes to use. Another tradition that existed in the Dublin of nineteen sixteen. That's great, fascinating stuff, John. Thanks for that. And next week on our History of the Easter Rising in Ten Objects podcast, we'll be discussing a book that was damaged in Marsh's library from gunfire. So don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, follow the show on SoundCloud, and you can read, watch, and listen to much, much more about 1916 on independent.ie forward slash 1916. And of course, John's book, A History of the Easter Rising in 50 Objects, is out in bookshops now. John, thanks very much.